Thanks, honey. That was beautiful. That was lovely. Well, let's pray, shall we? Before we do that, let's just read the scripture together in an attitude of prayer. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, we do give you praise because your light shines in the dark. It shone in the dark of a Bethlehem night. It shines in the dark today, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, solution for every problem of humanity, all of the tragedy and results of sin that we experience, even death itself, will one day be fixed by the coming of the King. How do we know? Because the king has already come, and he is coming again. Father, we pray this morning for our brother Bob Strybeck as he continues to recover from his heart surgery. We lift him up to you, knowing that you are the maker of soul and body, and you are a God who heals. Father, we also lift up Sister Geraldine. Schmidt to you, we pray for her healing from this infection. It just seems to be hanging on. Father, we pray you would put this infection to death in her body and that you would bring her complete healing and restoration. Father, we pray for our goal of reaching 2,018 people by the year 2018 with the gospel. Father, we pray that you would create a burning in our hearts that is only eased when we open our mouth to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Father, we pray also for our service this morning. We pray that Christ would be exalted and that our hearts would be stirred with the old, old story of the Savior who came in glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love that hymn that uh, Karen sang, not just because she's the one singing it, uh, but because of the message. I actually asked her to do that today. Uh, It's based on the poem Christmas Bells by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who wrote it at Christmas time in 1863. Uh, if you may, you may remember, if you know your history, 1863 was a tough year in the history of the United States of America. That year was probably the closest we have ever been to coming apart as a nation. Uh, that was the year that Gettysburg was fought. We're still 18 months left from then until... The, the peace was signed at Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, in April of 1865. Longfellow had lost his wife two years earlier in a fire. 
His son, his eldest son, had volunteered for a unit in the Civil War and had been seriously injured and was then, uh, at that time, under the care of his father, who had initially forbidden him to go and join and enlist. Uh, His boy went anyway and was nearly killed. By the end of the Civil War, over one million men would be seriously injured. Over 600,000 would be dead. And we were as close as we've ever been to the end as a country. And so Wordsworth wrote, or Longfellow wrote, um, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But he also remembered that Christmas teaches us another lesson too, that God is not dead and he does not sleep. And eventually God's justice was done. The nation was put back together and a great evil was stomped out for the rest of our history. It was a good thing. God was at work. And God is still at work because he is still not dead and he still does not sleep. Though hate is strong in our world and in our day and does mock the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, God's light still shines in the darkness. Amen? It does. So with that in mind, I'd like you to turn with me over to uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to see this some more. It's a familiar passage, but maybe one you've never looked at closely. So read with me here, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and are They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of his father David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, it's a great passage, great promise from God. And the first thing we see in verses 1 to 5 is that God's light shines in the dark. 
This is written, these words are written in Isaiah chapter 9 at a very dark time in Israel's history. Just as Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 that that very soon the oppression of Judah by Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, and by Syria would come to an end. When Isaiah 9 is written, it has come to an end. And it came to an end in a way that was the most violent you can imagine. The Assyrian Empire under Tiglath-Pileser III, you don't need to know his name necessarily, but historically that's who was king came in to the northern kingdom of Israel and he deported thousands and thousands of the northern kingdom, particularly from this area of Zebulun and Naphtali around the Sea of Galilee. And on the other side of the Jordan River, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and part of the tribe of Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph. Thousands of them went into exile. And Judah itself was surrounded, except for the city of Jerusalem, virtually the entire kingdom was overrun with Assyrians. And the Assyrians are nasty, nasty people. They were known for when they would capture a city, they would take all of the leaders outside and skin them alive. Anybody who survived, they impaled on sticks outside the city. This is a dark time. These are dark days. The geopolitical situation could hardly be any worse. And number two, it was morally dark. The nation had gone through all of these things as the prophets had told them they would because the people of the northern kingdom of Israel had rejected God and His Word and His covenant in order to pursue gods of wood and of stone and to engage in sexual immorality with one another in the worship of those gods. They had become just like the Canaanite tribes that they had displaced. And so God's promises from Deuteronomy came true. If you remember in Deuteronomy, Moses divided the tribes and he had part of them stand. He said, when you get into the land, you're to stand on these mountains. Part of you, six tribes on Mount Ebal, which is bald, there's nothing on it. It doesn't grow anything. And six tribes on Mount Gerizim, and there's a valley in between near the city of Shechem. And you're to shout from the one mountain, Mount Gerizim, all of the blessings for obedience to God's covenant. And they went like this, you will be blessed in the country and you will be blessed in the city and blessed will be your crops and blessed will be your vines and blessed will be the fruit of your womb and blessed will you be in all of your dealings with, with every nation around you and you will have all kinds of blessings. And then from the other side, they would scream across the valley from Mount Ebal, from the mountain that was bald with nothing growing on it. They would shout the curses for disobedience. And they would say, cursed will you be in the city, and cursed will you be in the country, and cursed will be your crops, and cursed will be your vines, and cursed will be your herds, and cursed will be the fruit of your womb. And he says, and even the delicate woman so delicate that she will not allow the sole of her foot to touch the bare dirt, will fight 
with her children and her husband for the afterbirth of the children that she bears to have something to eat. That happened. That happened to these people when they were besieged by the Assyrians, just as God said that it would. But look at the tale in the verse 1. In the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And on to verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Instead of, look at these, look at these verses. You see, on the one hand, you see gloom, anguish, contempt. And on the other, you have glorious, great light, light shining. And into the moral and spiritual and geopolitical darkness of these people at this time and this place, a great light will shine. And according to verse 3, the result of that great light shining will be not reduction and humiliation and contempt, but multiplication and increase and rejoicing and joy. The, the, these people, he says, are going to have all of their anguish and pain and suffering replaced by joy like when a farmer brings in the harvest. If you're a farmer, I've never, never been a farmer. I have a garden. You know, when the tomatoes grow and they get really nice, you know, and you take that first big, ripe, juicy beefsteak tomato and you go in and you make yourself some chicken salad and put a big slab of that right on there, right? There's rejoicing in that, amen? Right? I can only imagine that if you've got your entire livelihood, not just a sandwich staked on this, that when the harvest comes... There is great joy. He says it'll be like when, if you're a conquering army, you, uh, you liberate the spoils, right? Now, we don't do that anymore. We call that looting, right? But back in those days, when you went to war and you captured or conquered a people, you took their good stuff. You know, the nice art, uh, the good silverware, that went into your pocket, right? And there was some joy associated with that. And he says, it'll be like you, have, instead of being the conquered people, will be the conquering people. And look at verse 4. Well, on the day that the light shines, it'll be the occasion when burdens and slavery and oppression cease. For centuries, this part of the nation of Israel was burdened and under the boot of foreign rulers. There was no large-scale return to this part of Israel until over 200 years later when part of the tribes of, of the people from Judah and Levi and Benjamin came back and some of them resettled in this part of Israel. But even then, it was only by permission of Israel's foreign overlords who ruled them harshly 
But Isaiah says there's a day coming when the shining of this light will, will come, and that will point to a day when the burdensome yoke of oppression and the rod and the staff their oppressors used to beat them with will all be broken and freedom will come. And he says it will be like the day of Midian. What's the day of Midian? Well, the Midianites were a tribe that lived off in what's now Saudi Arabia, and they liked to come on raids into Israel, and they would come and at harvest time and take all of their crops and all of their best of their flocks and everything off into the desert with them and eat it. It was like locusts. And God raised up a man named Gideon who defeated the Midianites. And after Gideon's defeat of the Midianites, they were never oppressed by them again. In other words, that when release from oppression comes due to the shining of this light, there will never be oppression again. This will be the end of all of that. And on top of that, accompanying that freedom from oppression is an end to warfare. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You know, the reality is, and we don't like to think about this because this is kind of gross to think about it this way, but war is the natural state of humanity. It's peace that's the abnormal thing in human history. It really is. Since the days of Cain and Abel, we have been at war, either as nations or as people groups or as, as uh, different ethnicities, whatever. We're at war with people who are different from us. And Isaiah says that day is not going to last forever. That one day, every soldier's boot, every uniform is going to be rolled up and used to make heat because you won't need them anymore. I don't know if you ever learned that old spiritual from way back, it says, I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside, and I ain't going to study war no more, right? That day is coming, according to Isaiah. I'm going to stick my sword in the golden sand, and I ain't going to study war no more. Not going to need to. You know, a lot of you guys know that, that uh, if you know me well, uh, you know that I like guns. I like to shoot guns. I like to go hunting. I like, you know, I have a gun collection, etc., right? But that is an artifact of the fact that we live in a dangerous world. But one day, won't be any need for that anymore. One day we will live in a world where you won't need locks on the door, never mind to use them. One day war will come to an end. How do we know? Because the next part of Isaiah's prophecy has already been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. The light has shone in a person. 
Let's read this again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now look at this. this. I'm going to go into more detail on these, on this verse and the next verse, verse seven, next week. But just look at his look at his birth for just a second. It's described in an unusual way. I mean, the first part is not in any way out of the ordinary. To us, a child is born. That's the normal Hebrew way of talking about it. Children are born. But he then he says, "To us, a son is." given, which is not the usual way you talk about it. I mean, we, we, we receive our children in our house as a gift, but this is not how you normally speak about it. And I think Isaiah is alluding to the fact that this is an unusual child, that he has on the one hand a fully human nature. He is a child that is born. And yet he is also something unique, something that can only be given by God. He's alluding to the fact that this child is unique. This child is the Son of God. He is the Word made flesh. He is the great light who will shine in the darkness. How do we know? Well, because Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 4, that this chapter, this portion of the book, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. According to Matthew, Jesus is the great light that shone in Galilee, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. You know, 99% of Jesus' miracles all take place right there. All of them, virtually, except for, except for the visits to the temple and the uh, last week of Jesus' life, it's virtually all lived out. His entire ministry is lived out in the place called Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea. He does all of his stuff right there around that. The great light shines. Uh, Eleven twelfths, everybody but Judas, is from there. Jesus coming as, as the child who was born, as the son who was given by God, prefigures the day when the rest of this, this passage's words will also be fulfilled. And this child comes with titles, titles that no merely human person could have. He is called the Wonderful Counselor. Anybody ever needed wisdom in their life? needed to know what direction to go, what to do. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Again, this is an indication this is not some merely human person. He's the mighty God. He is fully human, but he's also fully God, and he possesses all of the might and power of God. A God who has the ability to intervene and to fix things. He's the everlasting Father. In other words, He eternally exists so that there never was a time when this person did not exist. And He also exists onto forever, into the future. 
And He provides fatherly care for us, His children. And He is the Prince of Peace. He's not just another ruler or potentate or prince, but He is the Prince of Peace. And we find out more about what His rule will look like, verse 7, which tells us that God's light shines in the darkness as a person who will shine forever, verse 7. Uh, There are three aspects to Jesus' rule we need to see. First one is that it's a kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I've I've looked around at the kingdom of of the world, and what you find about them is that none of those guys are elected, right? Uh, Jesus is not running to be king, all right? I don't know if you know that or not, but he doesn't need our vote, There's going to be a kingdom that will be established. There won't be a political contest to endure. We won't have to watch endless uh, hours of campaign commercials, right? One of the best reasons to have a DVR in the world, right? (laughs) You don't have to watch that or any other kinds of commercials that are on there, right? Um, And he will come as the king to establish a kingdom. And it will not just be any kingdom. He will sit as Messiah on David, his father's throne. In other words, his kingdom will be the fulfillment of promises that were made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that you're going to always have a descendant to sit on your throne to rule from Jerusalem forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And on top of that, uh, because our, king, our, our, our concept of a king is flawed because we've actually seen some, right? We, we, we look at all of human history and most of the people who've ever lived anywhere have been ruled by some kind of a king or dictator. And, and we go, well, I don't know if I would like to live in a kingdom under a king, but this king and this kingdom will be quite different from anything we've ever seen. It will be a kingdom of peace, of righteousness, and of justice. I don't know if you know know, much about our legal system, but here's what I know. Sometimes innocent guys get convicted That's fairly rare, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes guilty guys go free. Sometimes we don't ever find the person who is guilty. And we groan under the reality that justice does not exactly fill our land, right? Or anywhere else. But one day we'll have a king who will be able to judge justly, completely, over the entire globe. The kingdom will come with a good king. And second, I want you to see his tenure. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. It never comes to an end. You know, sometimes people look back on a, a, you know, a president or a, a period in American history and they think of that as like the golden age. You know, they, if we could just get back to that. If we could just get back to a president like 
so-and-so, or if we could just get back to where we were as a country when I was a kid, or if we could just get back to this, okay, there will be no need to look back with longing to anything because the best that there has ever been will be here and it will last forever. It will last forever. And the last thing we need to see in that verse is our assurance. Isaiah, how do we know this is going to happen? I mean, Isaiah, really, this sounds awesome, and it sounds great, and I'm excited about it, and I'm anticipating it, and I'm looking forward to it with great joy. How do I know it's actually going to happen? He says at the last line, verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What's that mean? It means that all God's checks are cashable. Okay? You don't need to uh, you don't need to wonder whether you can take God's promises to the bank. You can. Absolutely every single time because never has there ever been a situation in which his power was too little to accomplish what he had promised. And never has there ever arisen a situation in which that will occur. Did you know that we live in a universe that is getting bigger all the time, and it is literally 19 billion light years across? Let me translate that for you. A light year is the distance that light travels at 186,000 miles per second in 365 days times 19 billion. Okay. I didn't do that well in math. But I know that that's a big number, okay? (laughs) That's a vast universe. And you know what? We serve and are loved by and pursued by and sent a Savior from the God who is so incredibly powerful that He created that with a word. God said... Let there be, and there was. That God has given us His word that this will occur. It will happen. It's going to happen. The King is coming to establish the kingdom of righteousness, peace, justice, and joy. King is coming. How do we know? Because the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, has already come once. And He's promised us that He's coming again. So what does that mean for us? Well, number one, it means that we don't have to walk in the dark anymore. Because the light has already begun to shine. The the reason that Jesus was sent to Galilee is because it was the spiritually darkest place in the country. It was the place that was furthest removed from the temple and from Jerusalem and from its worship. And Jesus went there to do his ministry. Because as he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
And I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus was sent to Galilee, the place that my Bible says Galilee of the nations, but you could also translate that same, with the same words, Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus was sent to people like us, in other words. People from the nations, people who were not Jews, as well as the Jews. Jesus did his ministry there. And it was the place that was furthest removed from anything spiritual. And today, you may, even though you're here, feel like you are as far away from God as it is possible to be. And if that's true, I want to tell you that into your life right now, the light is beginning to shine. The reason you are here is because Jesus wants to shine his light into your life. And that you do not have to walk in the dark anymore. He has come to you by his sacrifice on the cross with forgiveness and righteousness that you will receive as a gift. If you will simply put your trust in Him, and then He will be your wonderful Counselor and mighty God and everlasting Father and the Prince who brings peace into your life. The only question is whether or not you will embrace Him or reject Him. But the light has already begun to shine, whether you know it or not. Since the light of the world has come, it also means that we have hope in all of our circumstances right now. All of our circumstances. No matter what you're going through right now, we know that whatever our circumstances are, they are temporary. I know some of you, some of you men are out of work right now. I know some of you are going through painful circumstances in your marriage right now. I know some of you are single and wish you weren't. I know some of you are divorced and wish you weren't. I know that some of you, even as we're celebrating Christmas, you're having a hard time getting into the Christmas spirit because you are thinking about and longing for people who are no longer around the table to celebrate with you. And on top of that, you know, as you turn on the news, which I don't recommend, but if you do, you find out that our geopolitical situation in the world is, is getting dangerous and scary. And that our country is not exactly a, par- a paragon of moral virtue lighting uh, like a city on a hill uh, to the world, right? We're a long way from the Puritan vision of John Winthrop, right? And you, it's easy to look around at all of that and just go, man, oh, you know, and just groan as you even get out of bed in the morning. You know, not to say good morning, Lord, but good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I can't believe I got another day. Right? And just to get depressed. But whatever our situation, whatever it is, it's temporary. 
and the reign of the king is coming. And his reign will be forever and forever and forever. And it will be joyous. It will be the restoration of joy for every person who is a subject of the king. There is no situation in which we don't have hope. Because whatever situation we're in is just temporary. Even if we die, we go to glory and we stand before the living God. Amen? To live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know which to choose, right? If I'm around, I get to serve the Lord. If I'm dead, I get to be with the Lord and serve Him there. The King is coming. And the kingdom is coming. And finally, it means since the king has come, that we have more to celebrate than we can even imagine. I love Christmas. I love every aspect of it. I like the food. I like the tree. I like the Bible reading. I like the carols. I like the lights. I like the decorations. I like the food. I like it all. Okay. <laughs> right? And we're going to eat well at our house. You're welcome to join us. All right? <laughs> um, but here's reality. We have more to celebrate than we can even wrap our arms around. We celebrate Christ's birth. And it's right to do that because His first coming is a great and glorious thing. Because Christ the Savior is born, He also was able to die and bring redemption to us. And His first coming was a glorious thing. And we experience the inauguration of the kingdom as we come into relationship with the Savior. But the Savior is coming back. And the first coming is the assurance of the second coming, which will be even bigger deal. It'll be amazing. The king will come with his kingdom and establish peace and justice and righteousness and joy over the entire earth. And I ain't going to study war no more. Amen? Not, not no more, right? He is coming to reign from David's throne, kingdom that will go on forever. Now, guilt-free sermon, all right? Uh, I, wanna I want to uh, do something a little unusual. Uh, I don't normally close our service this way, but I want you to hear a selection from one of the greatest pieces of music probably ever written in the English language, okay? Once you hear the London Symphony Orchestra do, For unto us a child is born from Handel's Messiah. And then just listen, just sit and listen. And then at the end, I'll pray and dismiss us, okay? So just listen. That your word is certain, that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, that the King will come as Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. And of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no 
end. Father, we give you praise. And we pray as we look forward to Christmas that you would help us to remember your great and precious promises to us and to celebrate them and to celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.